In this episode of 2000 Books, Dan Ping, the author of New York Times best-selling book Drive, teaches us the three most fundamental motivation types that drive human behavior and how we can harness them to perform at our very best in business and in life. Well, hello, hello my ambitious friends and welcome to 2000 Books, where we bring you the most important actionable ideas from the world's greatest books for ambitious entrepreneurs. Books in the field of startups, marketing, sales, productivity, management, leadership, strategy, self-help and much more. And I'm your host Manny Vaya. Today I'm really excited to be chatting with Dan Pink, who's the author of three New York Times bestsellers, A Whole New Mind drive and to sell as human we'll be chatting about his bestseller drive dan welcome to the show thank you as we go in this interview most of the times we we want to get to know your story your personal story leading up to this book and i understand that you were writing a whole you're writing a whole new mind which led to drive so tell us your story and uh um the the, the reason why you started writing the drive uh, well, actually, I mean, I got interested in the topic, as you say, uh, in, in this book, A Whole New Mind. And that book makes an argument that we're moving from a world of uh, metaphorically left brain abilities, logical, linear, routine, algorithmic abilities, to a world of less routine, less algorithmic abilities that are metaphorically kind of like the right, right, uh, right hemisphere of the brain, uh, simultaneous, artistic, empathic. Um, and in writing that book, one of the questions that I got was, how do you motivate people to do these more conceptual creative tasks? And the, um, and I, I didn't know. So I started looking, I knew there was this body of research on motivation. And so I started looking at it and I realized that it said some really surprising things. It said things that I didn't know that really flouted a lot of the assumptions that I had. And, um, and that's really the main reason I got down that, the path of writing about motivation. In the in the book, you you go along the three prints or three types of motivation. You say there is motivation one dardo, there is motivation two dardo, and motivation three dardo. So let's talk about them. Let's talk about one dardo and then two dardo and three dardo. One dardo is all about survival. It's about our yeah. most basic instinct. So um, tell us about it. We eat when we're hungry. We drink when we're thirsty. We have sex to satisfy our carnal desires. It's part of what it is to be human. No question about that. It's integral to being a human being. But it's not the only thing. And at a certain point when societies evolve, um, you know, those kinds of motivations, the pure survival mo- motivations, actually take a little bit of a backseat. Um, because if we want to do, you know, if I'm just trying to get through the day to outrace that saber-toothed tiger, then those kinds of motivations are fine. But as societies become more complex and you and I live in different places or you're a different tribe and I want to trade with you, et cetera, et cetera, we need slightly more complex social arrangements. And that's where motivation 2.0 comes in. And that's really just based on reward and punishment. Um, and you know, here's the thing, just to be super clear about this, the reward and punishment drive is an important drive that human beings have. It's essential. It's integral. We all have it. It's not like it doesn't matter. Uh, it is actually quite essential. Um, and it's part of what it is to be human. The thing is, it's not all there is to be human. And so as societies become more complex, it ter- the, what the social science tells us is that those kinds of drives, those pure mechanistic if-then kinds of reward and punishment drives are insufficient for other kinds of tasks in a more uh, complex kinds of relationships and more complex societies. And there that's motivation 3.0, which is built around, at least in the workplace, around paying people enough 
uh, and then providing some measure of uh, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. So um, the reasons uh, why motivation2.org doesn't work is because it kind of uh, takes away a lot of uh, possible creative thinking, possible open-ended thinking. It, it kind of limits the way it limits our focus. Is that, is that, is that what happens? Yeah. Although here's the thing, let's be clear about this. Um, you know, motivation 2.0 works just not for everything. You know, I mean, a way to look at this is, you know, it's like sometimes we could, sometimes it helps to sort of isolate on what kinds of rewards we're talking about here. Okay. So there's a, because there are all kinds of rewards. I mean, you know, it's a, you know, I'm getting a reward talking to you because it's an interesting conversation and because maybe in the future someone will listen to this podcast and buy a book and I'll make another dollar in royalties. All right. So, so that's, so there's obviously, you know, so there are all kinds of rewards that we have. What I'm going to focus on is what I tried to focus on is this mainstay kind of reward that we use in organizations, what psychologists call a controlling contingent reward. Uh, well, I like to call that an if then reward. If then, if you do this, then you get that. 50 years of social science tells us that if-then rewards are extremely effective for certain kinds of things. For algorithmic work, where you're following a recipe, following a rule, could be with your brain, could be with your body, if-then rewards work really well for that. The problem is, is that if-then rewards, the same body of research tells us, are far less effective for um, more complex, creative, conceptual kinds of tasks. Um, and, um, and so to my mind, like if you're running an organization, that doesn't mean get rid of all if then rewards. I mean, it means use if then rewards where they work and then, but don't use them where they don't work. Now, do you, um, so the three components of 3.0 are autonomy, mastery, and purpose and purpose is an interesting one because everyone has a different purpose. It's, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it could be so many different things to do with so many different people. Um, I'm going to take a story from my life personally, which uh, was when in 2004, I lost my job. I was laid off from a, from a job. And, and the challenge I had then was that if in 30 days, I did not find another job. I would have to leave the country. I had something called an H-1B visa, which only allows me to, you know, have the job. And uh, if I don't have a job, I have to leave. So 30 days is all I had. Now that put a lot of stress. That put a lot of, uh, challenge in my, like in my system. And it put a fire in my belly and it, you know, stoked the hunger, the desire. But it also was a reward and punishment kind of motivation in some ways. And, the thing I noticed about myself was it was because of having that hunger that I was able to get other jobs and like able to perform really well in an interview. If I didn't have that hunger, if I didn't have the desire, I was like kind of flat when I went to job interviews. Otherwise, I just didn't have that, that performance that was kicking in at high gear. So how do we, how do we reconcile these notions of like high performance under stress when like rewards and punishment are under play, even though they are not necessarily cognitively simple tasks. They are cognitively really complex tasks, but only when the stress levels are high and you have something on the line or your hunger or desire are being challenged, then that's when you do something great or you do something. Yeah, I would say that in that case, um, you were probably in 1.0 because it was survival. Um, And so having that threat of having to leave the country is absolutely going 
who is absolutely going to focus your mind. And so you're going to do what you're what you're going to do whatever it takes not to be kicked out of the country. And so, um, you know, I, I think that that's about survival. And as I said before, you know, you threaten. So it's like, you know, it's like it's it's in some ways the vocational equivalent of, of escaping a burning building. I mean, if your building is on fire. Autonomy, mastery and purpose are second order issues. <laughs> the goal is to get out of the freaking building. And so so to me, I think that, you know, you were in you were in that role. Now, I don't think that um, if you keep hanging, um, if we keep that sword over you and say over time and say, if you don't perform at a certain level this month, you're out. If you don't perform at, a, at the same level the next month. You're out. I think that's going to absolutely erode your. I think that is absolutely going to erode your performance. But to me, your situation is akin to your situation is is as much uh, 1.0 as it is as it is um, as it is 2.0. It's akin to um, as I said before, escaping a burning building. Sure, but, but the, ch- the 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 thing that uh, we talk about uh, is the idea that when it's 1.0 when survival is at stake, then we're not really able to harness our complete intellectual prowess in some ways, or are well, we able to? Well, it depends. I mean, here's the thing, you know, there, there's, it's pretty clear that it's pretty clear that, um, that if then rewards are effective in the short term, right? The, the research on that is very, very clear. Why? We love rewards and we hate punishments. They get our attention. So they do get us to focus. And so at some level, you know, you were absolutely and appropriately focused during that during that 30 day window. And so you were you were you were locked in. And there's a certain aspect of not entirely, but there's a certain aspect of of um, finding a job that is algorithmic. I mean, there are certain steps that one needs to follow in order to do that. So you were so you were locked in on that. So I, I don't you know, I don't see um, I don't see a huge amount of irreconcilability here. Um, what I do think, I'm curious what you think. Like, suppose you had that threat hanging over your head every month. Do you think that would affect your performance? Um, interesting thought, but I somehow I feel that having that hunger and desire propels me forward more than it takes away from my. Could be, yeah. Okay. And, and and that's why I was I was thinking about the so idea why- of. Why are you doing this podcast? Um, this podcast is actually, uh, for me, it is for a lot of it is for learning. And uh, I love to figure these things out. And we have a business behind this podcast. But I agree. There's a lot of, I do this because I enjoy doing it. But at the same time, I, I'm also wondering if, if it was just for the sake of enjoyment, would I have the, uh, uh, would I have the same drive to, um, go after things the way I would if it was for my hunger and my desire to do something, mm-hmm. do something great, to do something meaningful. Now, yeah. does that desire mean that, uh, uh, that hunger or desire well, mean that... Desire to do, the desire to do something meaningful to me is very different from the desire to stay in the country. Sure. I They're mean, survival one not and purpose kind of deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, anyway, uh, I mean, I mean, I, I see where you're coming from in the question. I, I, I think that there... That, um, you're, 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 you're uh, maybe a way to think about it is this. Maybe the way to think about it is that, you know, if you think about 1.0, 2.0, 3.0, they're not necessary. you know, it's like, like in a software upgrade. It's like you don't throw away everything else that came before it. 
you see what I mean? I mean, it's not like this kind of this. It's not like this country starts here and then this country starts here and we use a totally different language and a totally different currency. There is some there's some porousness on those borders, I think. Yes, there is. I, I I completely understand what you're saying here. There is these things don't necessarily like um, it's not segmented. It's not compartmentalized kind of thing. It's not a gradation where you must always be on 3.0. There's times when you will be yeah. 1.0 and 2.0. Um, and I think part of, um, part of that, um, for example, an athlete, um, uh, you often hear in a game in a, in like uh, sports, let's say that there's some bulletin board material because this athlete says, Oh, you guys are not good enough or I'll beat your ass. And that becomes bulletin board material. It really becomes a big deal and it really drives people to do better than what they would have done if they were just playing for the fun of it. Now, is that, is that maybe it's maybe, not true? Maybe I, it's not, I'm not sure. That's, actually, I'm not sure that's empirically true. Yeah. I, that's. Uh, because because what you, what you have there is you have you have essentially a uh, a sample uh, that's afflicted with survivor bias because you always hear the case of someone um, making a last second basket and saying afterwards oh you know they were trash talking me and I was really inspired by that but you don't hear the cases when they were trash talking they missed a shot so I'm not saying it's not true I'm just saying I'm skeptical of I'm skeptical of the empirical. I'm a, I'm a, I'm skeptical of the empirical truth of it. We yeah, we don't have the scientific data on it, and maybe there are some people who enjoy that more than other, and maybe there's. I think people you're right. I think there's a good point. I think there's obviously there are differences in. We're talking about you know at at the moment how many human beings on the planet? Seven billion human beings on the planet. So it's not like everyone has the same set of motivations, obviously, um, because of circumstance. And as you say, and I think it's a really good point. Um, because of, um, because of, because of personality, but, but so, so I don't think that we, and and if you think about something like autonomy, master and purpose, I mean, I think that the science shows pretty clearly that they're fundamentally human drives. Now you might wait one more than the other. You might have a weighting of mastery more than I have a rating of mastery or, uh, you know what I mean? Um, so the fact that we have different weightings doesn't mean that, that you know that, that doesn't mean that the underlying principles are 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 off. But I but I think you make a good point that there you know it's not as if it's actually not as black and white as one might um, think it is if we if one doesn't have a discussion like this that explores the nuance. Yeah, it it almost seems like. We all, uh, or at least for myself, I'm going to speak for myself here. Like for me, the book has been a lot of fun because it's forced me to delve deeper into the way I think about what drives me, what motivates yeah. me, what causes me to do uh, what I want to do in life. And maybe, maybe we all have different switches at different levels, different proportions where they come into play and they allow us to become better or they allow us to shine or they allow us to really um, yeah. do the best we can. I think that's right. The other thing I would say is that is that um, you know, again, we're talking seven billion people, so there's going to be significant variation across that very large across that very large sample. I think one of the things, and I actually I write about this a little bit in the book, is that there are changes. Forget about from person to person. There are changes over the course of an individual person's life. So that what drives you at a particular moment in your life 
isn't going to necessarily be the same thing that drives you at a different at a later moment in your life. And so there's a mountain of evidence in developmental psychology on what's called generativity. There's a mountain of evidence in 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 uh, developmental psychology on what's called generativity, which is this phenomenon that when people age, get to a certain point in their life, generally when they're reckoning with mortality, that they actually begin to think in a much more purpose-driven way than they might have had they um, had they um, than when they say we're, we're 20 or 25. Now, it doesn't mean when they were 20 or 25, they didn't care about purpose at all. But what it means is that the relative weight of all these things can shift, as I said, not only between you and me or you, me and Maria and Fred, but, you know, you as a 20-year-old, 20, 20 you as a 30-year-old, you as a 50-year-old, you as an 80-year-old. Yeah. And so motivation 1.0, which is like survival, as you said earlier, it's not – a good thing if you have it hanging on you all the time, if it's like a sword that's hanging on you all the yeah. time, because that, that'll create burnout. Is that, is that what we're saying? Like, is, that's that's gonna, part of it, yeah. And uh, it's also not going to allow you to... Here's, now here's, have, a, here's a simpler way to think about it. If-then rewards. If-then rewards get us to focus. There's no question about that. We love rewards. We love rewards, okay? So they get our attention. They get our attention like this. <laughs> Locked in, right? That's a very good frame of mind if, if, if you have a super short deadline for something, right? If, if, if on day 31, I don't have a job, I'm out of the United States. Um, and it's also good if you know exactly what to do. Um, if you're working on something long-term and you're locked in like this, it's actually not going to work very well. If you need something where you need a, where for creative conceptual work, you want a more expansive view, you want to see things more widely, going like this is going to work against you. And back for the for the benefit of our listeners, let's let's talk a little more about motivation three which is autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Um, uh, maybe there's an order to it. Maybe there is no order. Is there one that is more important than the other, or how does it yeah. work? So if, it's a circle. It's a it's a circle. Um, Books by nature have to be linear. Yeah. Uh, yeah, our days are linear, but conceptually, our life is not linear. That's no, not. Um, let's talk about autonomy a little bit, um, especially um, because it, today, more than ever, we see people who who chase that, who believe that it is possible to do what they want to do, to do yeah. what they desire to do. Um, tell tell us about it. Well, autonomy is is really just self direction. Is it? Do you have some sovereignty over the key aspects of your life? Um, it doesn't mean you have absolute 100% sovereignty over every element of your life, every um, moment of the day. But what it means is, is that, you know, in general, you have some degree of self-direction in your life. You have some amount of control over what you do, when you do it, how you do it, when you do it, who you do it with. And the evidence is pretty clear when people have a little bit more control over those aspects of their work – they're more likely to engage. They're more likely to to do better. Yeah. Um, there's a book called uh, Top Five or Top Six Regrets of the Dying. And the first one is, I wish I had done what I wanted to do, not what the world told me to do. Yeah. So that, that kind of ties in directly well, with what you're saying. Yeah, that's self-direction in a much broader, you know, a much, uh, a much broader level. I'm yeah, it's about- a meta level, but still. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still like uh, it's good to see that uh, in some ways, in in a bigger picture, the the, the ideas come together. Um, well, I mean, you know, you and your listeners should check out a book called um, Thirty Lessons for Living," which is a book by a guy named Carl Pilmer, who's at Cornell. And what he did is that he interviewed 
um, I think it was several thousand people in their 90s, Americans in their 90s, looking back on their life, what would you, what are, what are the lessons that you've learned? And when it comes to work, uh, the, these lessons are um, um, the lessons, again, anecdotally that these thousands of older Americans give are very consistent with the principles of science that all these great scholars have surfaced. Nice. I'm definitely going to check it out. It's on my list now. Um, love my books. The next one, mastery. And yes. the, the challenge about mastery, I mean, it is difficult. It is not an easy job. And uh, that's why it is essential in some ways because it's a challenge. It keeps us yeah. going. Uh, tell sure. us about it. Okay, so mastery is our desire to get better at stuff. We like to get better at stuff because it's inherently satisfying. Um, when you take this to the level of the workplace, uh, there's some great research uh, from Teresa Mobile at Harvard Business School who found that the single biggest day-to-day motivator on the job is making progress and meaningful work. So when we make progress, we're motivated. And, um, and so the problem is, is that like, if you go back to the workplace, a lot of our workplaces don't have the architecture that allows us to see our progress, notice our progress, get information on our progress. So to me, that's the big barrier when it comes to, when it comes to mastery is that our organizations aren't equipped to help people get better at stuff, help them see their progress, help them see, uh, help them see improvement. We're still giving feedback to employees with annual performance reviews um, in a world of incredibly high metabolism feedback in the rest of our lives. That's right. A quantification of their progress and like feeding back their progress on a daily basis or like maybe maybe it is important for us to self-direct that for ourselves and to say, yeah, that is where I am. Like I am making progress. And again, you mentioned athletes before. This is what athletes do. I mean, athletes completely outsource the feedback they you know watch any great athlete they, they 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 know how they're doing they keep a log of how they're you know what they've done how they've done it trying to get feedback on their own so i think it's a really important skill that we can learn from that we can you know i think it's an important skill for kids too to how do you go out in the world and get your own feedback rather than wait for the feedback to uh wait for the feedback to come from you come from you come to you uh, yeah yeah, and yeah, as you said, athletes really drill it down, and their coaches do drill it down too. It, it, like it's, you cannot expect the athlete to get feedback at the end of the year. They they get it every hour. I mean, it's a great point. I mean, imagine a professional athlete with an annual performance review. Okay, LeBron, let's look at your numbers now that a year has gone by. I mean, it's a joke, right? I mean, That's he right. would never get any better. Uh, yeah, exactly. It, uh, we, in some ways, we have to adopt the the mindset of um, these high performance athletes in order to be able to. There's something to be. There is. There is something to be. There is something to be said for that, particularly when it comes to, uh, particularly when it comes to mastery. Yeah, and then and then and the next thing or the last thing is purpose. Having that purpose, uh, and uh, you talk you talk about the idea. It's not just a purpose. It's a, it's not just like. A purpose only for yourself. The purpose goes much bigger than that. It has to be much bigger than that for you to be to have the drive, right? Well, you know what? On this part of the book, I actually wish I had a I had a chance to redo it a little bit because I've changed my view on this a little bit. So here's a, here's how here's how I now think about it. Um, so two ways to think about it. One is purpose with a capital P. All right, purpose with a capital P, and, and then there's purpose with a small P. Okay, so purpose with a capital P is. Are you doing something big and transcendent, solving the climate crisis, feeding the hungry, um, 
you know, changing the world in that way. Um, and, and I talked about that. And that actually is a big I mean, there's a lot of evidence showing that when you get people thinking that way, their performance improves. However, um, I also think there's another aspect of purpose, what I call purpose with a small p, uh, lowercase p. And um, that's just, you know, are you making a contribution? Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, several years ago, I wrote a book called Free Agent Nation, and I interviewed hundreds of people around the U.S. who had chosen to leave large organizations to work for themselves. And one of the things that I noticed in the transcripts of the interviews is people kept saying the same thing over and over again, which is what, oh, another reason I left is that I felt I wasn't making a contribution. They didn't say making a difference. And I think there's a dip, I think there's a distinction between making a difference and making a contribution. Making a difference is, in my the way I see it, is that capital P purpose. I am, you know, feeding the hungry. I am, you know, eliminating nuclear weapons. I am uh, reducing dependence on fossil fuels. But not every job lends itself to that. And that kind of, and, but I do think that people want a purpose in their day to day work. They want to know, like, if I didn't show up to work today, would anybody care? Um, if I didn't show up to work today, would that um, a refrigerator managed to get off the production line. Um, if I didn't show up to work today, would there be customers who weren't taken care of well because of my absence? And that to me is making a contribution. Um, you know, are you just contributing? Does what you do actually matter to the other people around you? And I think that, and you know, and there's evidence showing that that's actually really important too. And I felt like I gave that a short shrift in the book. Hmm. So what we're saying, this purpose with the small p here, the idea of contribution, it could be something as simple as um, you have the purpose to uh, uh, make uh, something happen at work. It doesn't necessarily have a grand scheme of things behind it, but something that, you know, that makes moves the needle at work or whatever yeah, exactly. it may be exactly. or or could it be something also like my purpose is to make sure that parents lives are better off absolutely does that is that a small p or is it a big p or where, where does that lie it's a good question i'm not sure of where i put that that might be somewhere that might be somewhere um that might be somewhere in the middle i'm not sure how i would i'm not sure i would categorize that one and would that would that would that count for a good purpose that allows for your like that, that allows for drives uh, like in the in the in the paradigm of drive and motivation three dot does that fit well i don't know i mean i'm not gonna you know i don't have this you know i don't have the wisdom to assess who has a good purpose and who has, has doesn't have a good purpose i mean i think that um um if that becomes your if your transcendent purpose is to take care of your family in some way um i think that that um, would absolutely increase your conscientiousness, increase your diligence. Um, I'm a little agnostic on whether it increases your creativity, but um, um, I think that would absolutely re- uh, uh, improve your performance more than reduce it. All right. Yep. So I think we're we're coming towards the end of this interview. We we'll talked a lot about this stuff, but one of the things we always like to do is make sure um, our listeners have some specific, actionable uh, stuff to take. So if you were to give three action items, three specific uh, pieces of uh, homework they could do, what would they be? For, based on for this just book? for individuals, yeah, just for individuals, okay. yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, let me, we can do one. Let's. You want to do one for autonomy, one for. Sure. Whichever, whichever you think is the most important, like uh, let's let's go with that. 
It really, you know, again, importance is going to depend on the. Uh, These guys the are person. entrepreneurial. These guys want to create their businesses, are creating their businesses. Let's okay. go with AMP or MAP or whichever one. Yeah, let's go. So, so autonomy. One of the things I really like inside of companies is this idea of this small amount of dedicated time where people can do whatever they want. Um, so it could some companies Atlassian, for instance, does what's called a ship it day where one quarter a month people have 24 hours to work on whatever they want. Other companies say 10 percent time. I wouldn't go more than 10 percent time. Um, I mean, Google, as you might remember, started out with 20 percent time and actually pulled back a little bit on that. Um, it could be some people do genius hours, one hour a week. Um, these guys who won the Nobel Prize do something called Friday evening experiments where they take a few hours every week. But the idea is, you know, in the course of people's regular work, the whole universe of people's regular work, a tiny little island where people have purely autonomous stuff, can experiment, can try stuff, can do stuff. Uh, there's a lot of evidence showing that that can lead to great breakthroughs in creativity. So, again, don't go crazy. I'm not, I would never recommend that a that I, I would not recommend that most companies do 20 percent time. I think it's too, I think it's too crazy. I, I don't think it really works all that well. Um, but I would recommend that every company do something much more modest than that, which is to carve out some amount of time, one day a month, one hour a week, whatever, whatever works for your situation, where people are purely autonomous, can work on whatever they want, can experiment and play and fail a little bit. So that'd be on autonomy. On mastery, um, um, well, I mean, for these entrepreneurs, um, I would um, – I would actually establish some kind of progress ritual for themselves and for the team. Um, one of the things that I do myself is I use something called I done this, uh, which is both a, where, where you get an email at the end of every day or a text at the end of every day that says, what'd you get done today? And you just t- type in what you did and it keeps a, a log for you. So it, each time it'll say, you know, what'd you, after over a certain amount of time, um, what'd you get done today? Two months ago, here's what you got done. Six months ago, here's what you got done. Um, there's, uh, or something like, uh, at the end of every day, take 10 minutes to write down three good things that happened to you. Uh, so there's a, so that kind of progress, which ritual where you stop at the end of the day and say, and ask yourself and memorialize it, what progress did I make today? Uh, can be very good in getting that self-generated feedback that we were, that we were talking about. Um, that's a very simple one. And then on, um, on, um, on purpose, I mean, you know, um, one thing you know, entrepreneurs could do, depending on the size of their team, is they could just, you know, have a meeting and have everybody write on a card, what's the purpose of this company? And then collect cards and see whether people actually know what the purpose is. Um, and that's a very simple, easy test of, of alignment. Um, and I've done this with a number of companies, and it's interesting. Sometimes you see this really beautiful kind of harmony where people aren't saying the same words but they're playing the same music. And you say, okay, they, everybody knows why they're here. And other times you have this just complete cacophony. So I think that's a really, I mean, this takes, you know, 90 seconds and provides a lot of insight. So, um, so I would try maybe something like that as well. That's great, Dan. Thank you very much. Yeah, and b- before we, before we close, please tell us how to get hold of you, where to find all your good stuff. And I just go to my website, which is www.danpink.com. Great. Thank you, Dan. My pleasure. Of course, all the links from the show today will be on the show notes page. There you can also download the summary and action guide of the book. So just head on over to 2000books.com and you will find everything right there.